This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning. This is Talking Dells, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wade Barson, joined by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over um, a quite difficult week at Manchester United. This is your bumper bank holiday six-hour podcast edition. Um, only joking, it's not going to take that long. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your comments and questions in. If you're watching the replay, say hello, feel free to comment, we'll reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast as well, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you are listening on. Um, before I begin talking about the, the week at United, I do want to take a few seconds to mark the passing of Tom Clare, a legendary Manchester United supporter who passed away yesterday at the age of 79 at his home in Louisiana. Tom um, had been suffering from cancer for a number of years, as everyone who knows him knows. He was a very courageous in how he dealt with that. He still continued to make trips to Manchester and to Munich in that time. Um, very important figure in the United support base, obviously going back to watching the Busby Babes and a good friend of mine as well. Um, loved him to bits. It was fantastic. Anyone who spent time in the company of Tom would have enjoyed his stories and his tales, particularly his love of Duncan Edwards and the Babes. He told some great stories about um, being on the pitch at Preston and David Payo, one of the players, getting all of him and saying, what are you doing here? Do you know, put him on the substitute's bench because he'd run onto the pitch to sort of say hello to his heroes who were coming off at half-time. And um, Duncan Edwards, he'd watch Duncan washing his car and he'd say, you know, Duncan would say, you know, what are you doing around here? Get away. Um, although I mean, there, was, there was more affection in the relationship than that. Um, so I absolutely adore the babes and like I said in later life to those of us who got to know him I mean everyone he sort of moved to America in, in his later life and set up where he was instrumental in the setting up of the Houston supporters branch of the United supporter group out there um, but back home obviously whenever he returned back to Manchester or to Munich where he'd make pilgrimages um, he was obviously just adored. Everyone would always spend time with him. And um, I remember the last moment of his time in Manchester. He was here the last morning, and I went to see him. And we were talking at his hotel, and he sort of made his sort of peace with not going to see Old Trafford again. And I said, No, come on, let's go. Let's. I could see that. I think he just wanted to go and see it one last time just to be around it. And we went down in the morning, and I got managed to get a picture or two with him. And I could see that like, it meant a lot to him to actually be there. Just like the eyes, you know, becoming alive and seeing Old Trafford again. And um, no, he's a very special man. Very special man. And he'll be um, as missed as he was loved by everyone in the United Sports base. So um, rest in peace, Tom, and all our love to Cheryl, family and friends. Um, 
Okay, so uh, Paul, very disappointing week for Manchester. <clears throat> um, I thought uh, we'll get on to West Ham in a moment, but to wrap up Brian very quickly. I thought we played all right at Brighton. Um, it was a good game of football. Both teams played very open, but then there was a last minute. Um, penalty draw. Football is a little bit funny like that with narratives. I mean, Brighton and late goals. I mean, there was Smith must score in 1983 and then more recently uh, there was the game down at Brighton where Bruno had the penalty in the, after the last minute with the penalty drama at Wembley and then losing this way as well. You might say that Brighton were old one, the way the history sort of pans out but um, doesn't make it an easy pill to swallow. Um, Luke Shaw comes out and admits it's a mistake. It is a mistake. Um, he, and he's been so good since he moved to setback. It's, it's the first sort of real rook that he's made in there. And apparently he's well taken and United uh, succumbed to a very disappointing defeat. What do you make of the way that things ended in, in last Thursday night? Well, I will. I still have to know. You just mentioned there about Luke Shaw um, saying, you know, coming out and saying he made a mistake. But how do you make a mistake like what? Uh, I was looking, I can't find a reason why his arm was up in the air. Was it because he felt indestructible and he couldn't make a mistake that he thought, oh, I'm not going to get this, so I put my arm up because no one else is? I really don't understand it. Was there a push in the back? A push in the back when you jump, you automatically, your arms go up. It's human nature. You think, okay. But there wasn't, there was no argument. And then when you see his face while, while it's all going on, you know, or the referee's doing what he's doing, you could see it in his face it was a penalty. You know, there was no way, there was no disguise in it. There was no running in the referee's face and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. He knew what he had done was was wrong. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't see it as a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake. <laughs> I, I think it's worse than that. You know, I, I don't understand for what reason he put his arm up like that. You know, there wasn't yeah. any shoving because he never complained, Wayne. He just, he just accepted that, oh, well, I can't get it. I put my arm up, you know, and you look at it, I think it was Dunk with him. I mean, for Dunk to have scored from there would have been incredible. And the way they had defended, you'd have thought, no, this game was was made to be nil-nil. The way it was, the opportunities being missed, you know, more so by Brighton. But I thought, I thought other than that, really, if they'd have got away, United had got a draw, then it would have been a well-earned point. Then it takes you on the road, looking then to go and get three points at London Stadium and taking four points out of those two games. Um, not, you know, I wouldn't say they're both difficult. Brighton was always going to be difficult. But I just think um, it was more the fact that West Ham have, have got this way about them, which they've gone and done again, is that they they turn, you know, it seems to play them at this time of the season where the games are quite important. There was one at one time when West Ham were already relegated and they made a meal of it. Then there was the Blackburn Rovers one as well. I think that... I think it was that one as well. But I think there's been two previous occasions where United have gone away from home to play West Ham and West Ham have come out, you know, you know, so, so, so happy for them now to know they're staying up, but to have beaten Manchester United. They'll be making T-shirts now and I've got to deal with that. Yeah, Paul lives in that area of the world. Um, ben, just closing on the Brighton one, says that he thinks it's one heat of the moment. Things uh, comparable to Suarez biting instant, completely inexplicable. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's that's, that's it. the word. I, I think yeah, I'm I'm saying I'm saying um, a mistake, but carelessness is 
probably another one. Um, Richard says, I've got an argument about the last two games we deserve to lose. We need to step up a few gears, otherwise we'll blow top four. Obviously, we're going to be talking about all of that. It's funny, you mentioned um, the playing West Ham at this stage of the season. I promise the listeners and viewers, we didn't have this in, in combined notes, but I did put a note in that to say, whenever we play them in May, away from home, there's always some kind of nonsense like this. It's like, it's again, I'm going to talk about Brighton and the sort of DNA of the fixture. This one, I mean, yeah, you met 92, 95, obviously games that cost us the league. Um, is it 2016 as well? Last game at Upton Park was in May and yes, we were yeah. in the Champions League spot through that away as well. Um, I, I mean... I really, I mean, I was disappointed on Thursday night because you're using the last minute to a penalty. Obviously, it's disappointing, but I was so frustrated yesterday with the performance because for the first 15, 20 minutes, we start quite well, but we miss a couple of chances and immediately you've got that air of, we need to score one of these chances because if if we sort of step off at all, we're inviting them because they look vulnerable, they didn't look good. Um, eight away games this season, by the way, where people talk about the away record, which has been very poor, but then they talk about, you know, they normally talk about the top part of it, you know, like this is the top part of the table and that's where United have struggled, whereas they're generally better against the lower reaches. But eight away games this season, United have scored one goal or no goals. And against a team who, you know, West Ham, they've occasionally looked good or they've occasionally completely collapsed like they did against Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. And it is really a good experience when United um, go to Sam in May. A lot of people are pinning this on De Gea. And look, you know, he's a goalkeeper blunder. But then their whole performance is all over the pitch. The defence is way too pedestrian. Um, They're starting way too deep. It's the poorest display from the midfield all season. And we looked increasingly more likely to concede a second than we were to equalise. I mean, we were desperately lucky to get away with that on half-time and it should have been a penalty um, by Lindelof. But in the second half, where that second goal was coming, it was going to come from West Ham. United were, they were just extremely, extremely poor in the second half. I don't think the changes were particularly impressive. I mean, when you started with Vegas, you kind of backed yourself into a corner anyway. You want some kind of vibrancy and movement, and you turn to Martial. I'm not saying that the options were great from the bench, but you're between a rock and a hard place. I'm not giving Tenog, I'm not giving him any slack, uh, cutting him any slack for that because I think he knows the squad better than this. You know, like this is this isn't an end of season game where you can afford to give the squad a run around and see what they can do. This is an end of season game where you know they're desperately trying to qualify for the Champions League. You need results and you need performances, and I think. I think, you know, yeah, the players were very poor last night, Paul, but I think the um, the manager sort of takes it as well because he should know the squad better than that. Even even with the options that we've got, we should have expected a much better performance than what we got. Um, what did you make of... I mean, obviously, we're going to say it's a De Gea blunder, but the reaction to it was just not good enough. No, it wasn't. It was, it was very, very poor, and it's... It's easy to come out and blame the goalkeeper. It is the blame game with the goalkeeper at this moment in time. But you just got to look at some of the outfield players. I mean, Casemiro's come back in after his suspension and he's been nowhere near the levels he's set, to be perfectly honest. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Um, the one player has been consistent, but the end product still being poor is Anthony. 
you you know he's around, but it's, but there's not there's when we talk about end product, I mean he's far from <laughs> there's a long long way to go, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt of a saying that he needs maybe another pre-season with the team and maybe Ten, Ten Hag just gets the opportunity to properly work with him over a pre-season rather yeah. than all the hoo-ha that went around with him when he come when he come and the way when he arrived, how late, you know, when he arrived and the expectations and so that might make that might make a difference. But I'm just thinking again, I think the biggest problem is is where the club's at. Everyone knows what Manchester United need, but it's the one the one thing that Manchester United need is what the manager can't deliver or the players deliver. You know, it's it's all off the field. That's the reassurances yeah. off the field. That's the bit that's needed to give people hope. And I think there's a lot of people sitting. I think players-wise, I think if you're looking at your key players, I think they're looking around and maybe asking questions of others. The problem is if you start getting that, getting in your head too much about that, your own performances get affected as well. In not believing in the people around you are good enough, or even I think we're looking at now and not really wanting it as much as what you do. Because they're just not, they're thinking, oh, it's the end of the season. Oh, well, I don't know. I've got nothing to worry about. I might get a move, but whoever, whoever I get a move to, I've got to pay all my wages. And that's a big, big problem as well with the wages that those players are on. They were, have been given over the years through separate managers. And so they're, they're, well, they're earning more than what they should be earning, given their, st- given their ability and given the facts of what they've delivered. You know, because they, they, some of them don't deserve to go and pick up their money. But they will, because they have, because they have to be paid. But it's, it's the whole thing is just it's a shambles, to be perfectly honest. And when you look at it, and again, there's man, there's players there who have played under four separate managers, and whatever, whatever they were, five. whatever they five, yeah, five, yeah, and whatever, whatever they were doing wrong, or maybe those first two of that five, or four, whatever, whenever you come in. It goes round it's like life is a circle, and it's coming yeah. round because it just isn't inbuilt in them. There was always, you know, under under Sir Alex, there was always you just knew the moment you sat back and you believed you'd won enough, or you sat back and wanted to party off of off of one medal. That was your time up because it wasn't just him who noticed. It'll be people around, and the problem yeah. is there's not there's not enough of those men around anymore. And I use the word men, not players, men. There's not enough of them around anymore. They're just like young young people now who don't really care. Winning, it doesn't matter about winning. You know, it doesn't matter about having, winning trophies, winning medals to a lot of them. Yeah, I'll get to this in a second, actually. Um, I'm going to close off on the West Ham game. Well, my thoughts on the De Gea moment. But Ben, and this is a... I'm leaving your comment the next. I'm going to come back to it um, because it does relate to the next point I'm going to get on to. Just under here, I did want to have a little say because I've had so many people in my mentions. Earlier this week, there was a tweet um, that was put out by one idiot who said, De Gea, oh, De Gea gets praised because he makes saves from shots that go straight to him. So I quote, tweeted that saying, well, it's obviously a massive exaggeration. So I said, well, no, he gets criticised because he's not prime Chavez, um, which was obviously a, a take on the original tweet saying you're going way over the top. Set because obviously it's great saves, um, but oh, he's obviously not prime Chavez as well. Um, but everyone was saying, "Oh, I, I, like I think that he is prime Chavez." 
So it's not my fault if you didn't get that. It's not my fault. You need to do that yourself. But the number of people that I've subsequently had in my mentions because I defended him technically, I say, no, aren't you going to say something about De Gea now? What do you want me to say about him? I mean, you think it's not obvious that he shouldn't have done better for the goal. You know, do you want me to like give you some kind of award for continuously pointing out the obvious facts that he's not as good with his feet as other goalkeepers? You know, yes, he didn't do well last night, but the players, the West Ham players who were approaching goal, were allowed to joke towards the goal with little intensity, and they had no challenge from our players as well, who surrendered the ball away in the first place. So, yes, De Gea's at fault, but the goal comes from the root, and the root cause wasn't De Gea last night. Now, in my mentions all night, going through to this morning, guess what, guys? It's okay to defend players. It's okay to support them. It's okay to continue to do that for as long as you want to do it. And guess what? It doesn't mean that you're blind to the bloody obvious. It doesn't mean that you can't see that a player made an error or that that error costs the game or that there are missing abilities which might make us better, either in the goalkeeper or in the rest of the team. That you can't see a player is coming towards the end, that the player's past the prime, or that we need a replacement because the game's moved on. It doesn't make you a better supporter for continuously and constantly referring to it every time he makes an error or a complete pass, or an incomplete pass. It doesn't make the rest of us blind to it either. It doesn't make the rest of us have lower standards because we don't complain about it every week, because we don't complain about a player that you can't transfer out in April, especially a player who's been there for more than a decade. It is okay to support. It really is. And I hope, you know, it is okay. It's still okay to hope that players have every a great game every time they step out onto the pitch, every time they play for Manchester United. It's okay to hope that even when we suspect that they might not. It's okay to accept that they might not. We don't need this constant like, oh, well, where's your De Gea support now? He's there. He's still there. I'm still going to support him in the next game. You know, I can still see that, you know, he made an error. What, what do you want in a war for it? We lost the game. Are you happy that we lost the game? That, that I, I just don't get it. Anyway, that's my rant over. Um, Paul knew that one was coming. He could see that. Um, anyway, <laughs> ben says, is there any merit to the idea that fatigue is bringing back the old habits from season gone by in games? They're clearly trying hard. But it seems so forced and without any rhythm. Um, I, I do want to talk about this because I'm looking at the, the season calendar, Paul. Five losses since the League Cup final compared to six for the entire season before. Now, injuries are obviously one reason. And yes, for a large part of the run since Christmas, we've missed either Castamiro and Ericsson. We missed Rashford for a little run, or we missed we've missed Martinez of Varane. Which is you know, it's quite key to lose two defenders and two midfielders. But it is concerning about the very flat performances. I mean, up until February, Tenag was keeping the same team and he really could drum in this game narrative of every match is serious. The mentality was there and it seemed to be working really well. Now, obviously, that's call upon different members of the squad and rotate them in, some of them into unfamiliar positions. But you have to wonder if the squad are up to it. I mean, since winning against City in the league, it almost felt like we were saying, United, are we in a title challenge? And then we kind of accepted, no, we're not in a title challenge, but we are still overachieving, so this is a great first season. And then when the form dips a little bit, it was like, well, it doesn't matter if we finish second, and they slipped to, well, we're still in the Champions League positions. Then they slipped to, it doesn't matter if we finish third or fourth because it's still enough. And now we're battling for that last position. And I think that is 
a gradual slipping mentality. And I do think that some of it is um, residual from the previous sort of mentality of the squad. And maybe looking at players like Martial coming in who know they know that they're not going to be there for the long term. So it doesn't really matter for them. They don't have any urgency. Even for players like Sancho, we're like a little bit concerned about the future, thinking, is there any point in making this extra effort? I'm not saying that Sancho's not trying. I just think that they're. Um, Break is everyone breaking their back to try and sort of push United? Have you seen that desire from players to try and really get over the line? And is it an excuse to say that they're knackered at this moment in time? Because I still think you're still entitled to see a little bit more than what we saw. Some people might think I'm being melodramatic with all this. Um, I would like them to tell me how and why I am. I think the thing is that we know from some of this squad is that it is frustrating, and we do know that these mentalities exist within the squad. But that makes it a Ten Hag issue, doesn't it, Paul? Because he's now got the one um, task to try and address the mentality. How does he do that um, with you know four or five, well, four league games left and a cup final left? Is like this digression, regression in, in mentality is it's become concerning. Yeah, it is concerning and, and it's about him now finding the players that he knows have got enough in them who want to achieve, players who willing who want to give everything. And he might have to maybe look and look at his bench and maybe look at a couple of young lads. When you look in the wide areas, I mean, Anthony's done okay, but you just think to yourself, maybe he needs a bit of time off. And gives you know gives someone else a chance because all he's doing all the time is just messing them messing about between Anthony, Sancho, Rashford, and Martial. Not so much Rashford. Rashford starts because of the amount of goals he scored. Mm. And again, I'd, I'll say it is that if Marcus Rashford doesn't score a goal, you will say to yourself, "What the hell has he done?" He, he doesn't go past people. He, he decision making is poor. Any more than two touch. Last night, so for, the first, for the last 20 minutes, uh, for the first 20 minutes, he was pretty good. He was United's liveliest player, but then he was, after the goal, like the rest of them, nowhere. Yeah, I mean, because space was created for him to run into and he was going on to the ball. It's about yeah. when the game and teams sit deep, that's when he struggles. He struggles in that area. And that's maybe when, sometimes you have to make a decision. You look at the games he was out, United scored goals as well. Yeah. They were scoring goals. So I, I think he has to look at other players who he can believe and want to give everything, want to prove a point. There's not enough of them out there at this moment in time. Luke Shaw was at fault for the goal. He's the one who initially gave the ball up easy, didn't he? And just over the halfway line, defending half, just over there, he gave the ball up. So it always ends with the goalkeeper getting the blame because they're the ones they see last before the ball goes in the back of the net. More so if they, everyone believes that the goalkeeper should have got the ball as well. So that's why it ends up the goalkeeper's fault. <clears throat> um, the idea that it might, might, but it is always when players on a losing run, is what United are at the moment, um, not playing particularly well. Second half, second halves have been a problem of late. It's always yeah. the first thing coming to people's head, which has been pushed by everyone out there, <clears throat> is they're tired. Of course they're going to be tired. You're going to be tired after... You know, when you're running around for about near 60 minutes, you're kind of jogging or you may be sprinting every so often. But it's a great it's, it's a great one to use 
because it's what everyone else says. When a player's not playing well, he's not having a bad game. He's tired. You think, so, no, he's human. No one work, No one is perfect. Uh, you know, perfect 100% every single day it happens. The man who goes out to his job in an office, he goes out feeling great some days, bad the other, but he knows he has to finish. He has to do that duration of time to actually to make sure that he's guaranteed and the fact I feel justified that he's earned his call at the end of the week or the month, whenever. So it's a, I think sometimes it's, 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 a, it's an easy and a weak excuse to keep using this word about tiredness all the time. <clears throat> the reason why you do a pre-season is that to work your body so it gets tired, it gets fatigued, but then it's about you then working that. That's what it's about. That's what that's what physical fitness is and mental fitness is. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. So I think it's easy to come out and say this. And the players, as players, we will take that from people when everything, oh, we're tired. Are we tired? Never, no player's ever going to come out, no, I'm not tired. I've just had a bad game. They're not going to do that. They're going to use what people what people put on social media and what they come out and say. And they're going to go, yeah, you're right. It's like, oh, we're in a little bit, oh, things ain't going well off the pitch now. And we're snap. blame what's happening off the pitch and what's happening on the pitch. Where is players' personal pride gone? You know, the game has changed. The game has changed now. It's not nice. The ball is not in play. I think they have seen one of the best teams. I saw it today. I mean, it's about 60 minutes of football. The ball's in play. Less 60 minutes. Yeah, less than that. And you think to yourself, and they're telling us they're tired. How can they justify that? How can these people, how these people, sometimes you have to be selfish and you can't come out and say he's tired. When you've been watching him not playing well and you're giving him excuses tired and you think about what have you been doing all week? for your family to pay your mortgage, to pay your bills now in today's world. And you're you're giving him an excuse to say he's tired. It's incredible. I mean, Wayne, you'll be able to tell me, how many players did we kind of use during that season of 93, 94? Um, yeah, I mean, and I'd say, I mean, we did give, it was, it was like an introduction for the players like Hanky Button. And Gary Neville, but they were getting one and two games, and the majority of you were playing mm. full calendar. I mean, you, yeah, the, the, the entire defense was almost 60 games. Um, yeah, it was. I, I missed one game. The boss left me out 93 94. Was it cut? He left me out of the Oldham game at home, yeah, which was on April the 4th, which was my birthday. I remember that. I had the, I had the Raven out because of my ankle, it's about my ankle thing, so he left me out just for that one. I had the Raven ump about it. Because I wanted to play, so I was sulking big time. But I wanted to play. I didn't want an excuse to miss out, miss out on playing football, playing there on the verge of something big happening. I wanted to play football, so I just find it very. I think people are letting players off far too easy by keep giving them that excuse about them being tired, because they are yeah. going to get tired because they're doing something where you where you do work your body. But then once it gets to a level, then it's about that bit working to drive you on. Some, like doing a marathon, isn't it? Marathon, you, you never run a full marathon before you do a marathon. You don't train, do 26 miles. It's your mental strength that takes you over the line. Because no one, they don't test themselves. They test themselves when they're actually doing the rest, sorry, doing the race. It's that mental strength inside, those little short runs they do to, to work their body hard. So knowing that when it's working hard, then, then it's testing them mentally how much they want to do it. How, no one ever tells 
tennis players are tired. They're going from one tournament. They're traveling in planes all over the world to playing tournaments. The same as golfers, same. But no one ever talks about tennis players ever being tired. Yeah. Never. It's strange, isn't it, really? And what they put in in a tennis match or even in a tennis set is more than what happens on the football field. So I'm, I'm not having it. I'm not. Ha- I'm. I'm not having that excuse. Excuse The only thing people can come out and say there's not enough players playing for Manchester United who have got a winning mentality. They're not mentally strong enough to play for that football club for the demands. And it's it's all over. It's all over. The, the modern day player hasn't got the same drive as the players from yesteryear because yesteryear was about proving yourself, earning the right to be earning decent money. And there was incentives. What incentives is there now unless you make your own incentive as a person that you want everything? You want to be a Ryan Giggs, a Gary Neville, a Dennis Irwin, a Nicky Butt, a Roy Keane. You want loads and loads of medals. <clears throat> You're not bothered about how many followers you've got on Twitter or anything like that. You're not bothered about how much you've got in the bank. You're more bothered that you can be stopped in the street and you're talk when people talk to you, they're talking about your how hard you worked to have the career you had. That yeah. should be your end goal. And I'd be embarrassed yeah. to go back to Old Trafford and walk in there to a game and people ignore me. I'd be yeah. if I was one of those players and it will happen to a few of them, they ignore you because they've got nothing to talk to you about. It doesn't matter you turned up in your nice car wearing your nice clothes, but you never achieved anything at the football club. All you done was just extract extract money. It's weird because you do. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where you go to Trafford on any given day, really, not just a match day, and you'll see legends around. And it's difficult to see this current squad sort of being back in that kind of capacity in terms of just being around the club. They'll be uh, embarrassed. Should be. I look, it is a, we've got some comments coming in about this, but it is a good point. I mean, the thing is that the majority of, the majority, a big majority of this squad has been around for like six or seven years. And that's been a yo-yo period between, not success, it's been a yo-yo period between qualifying for the Champions League and not qualifying for the Champions League, which is underachievement and gross underachievement. And they still... They're still in the squad. There's not been a, a big colour or anything. And don't get me wrong, I think Solskjaer, Solskjaer in one window, maybe his first transfer window, and Hag in his first transfer window did a, a fairly big overall in terms of an immediate transition and getting players out. But there's still a lot of survivors in there, which sort of says they've not paid a consequence for the club's um, failures on the pitch and they are relative failures compared to the history and it is it's sort of very sort of like you said the, if there's no accountability for it they don't have the ambition in the, or they don't have the necessity in the last sort of six or seven games to go that extra 10% which the club are going to need I mean people hopefully will, will get where I'm coming from with this obviously Vegas is way off it in terms of quality but you need that attitude now. And I can sort of see why he picked him last night because he's kind of saying, well, we need a kind of attitude in, in dedication and, and pushing that extra mile, the commitment, because it, it, the other players, um, it, it feels, and I'm sure it's not the case, but it feels like they're coasting to underachievement and it's a scary, it's a scary position to be in. Um, there's a couple of comments. Yeah, Richard says, Paul, we don't have the talent of the 93-94 squad at the moment which is obviously true. Uh, ben 
referring to squad statistics from that season, said he just looked it was 24 players and 63 games in 93-94. Someone only played one game. Uh, uh, without checking, uh, without knowing it, on, on and I'm pretty sure that seven or eight of those players would have played more than 55 games as well. Do you know what I mean? It's a very high percentage of um, close to our presence. Because we, I mean, you know, even players who were playing through injuries, players who you wouldn't say necessarily first team starters like Brian McClare in that season probably played over 50 games. Um, so, yeah, there's a very high percentage of... Um, High appearance um, levels. Um, one question from Mike Paul. Um, he says, "I know this happens at grassroots level, but at the highest level, are there ever situations where players wait or expect other players to do things in a game, and as a consequence, their own level drops?" Well, that's a, that is a question. I'm going to answer that. I've, I think yes. I think there is. I think there is expecting players to do stuff. You've been with them all week, months, maybe some players, years, and you would expect them, their standards to be, you know, to carry on and for them to keep doing. And I think there is players who are tailing off doing things now. <clears throat> you know, I'm not the person who's going to go and shout from the rooftops about Bruno Fernandes, how great he is, because I question him. I question him on his discipline. But I have to say that I can see why he gets frustrated in, the, in what he does, he doesn't maybe go about it the right way as I would expect the captain to be doing it. But you can see when he goes that he, he's expecting people to do more. You know, he had a shot yesterday and think, why are you doing that? But I can see why, because he didn't believe the people around him were going to be bothered. He was getting frustrated because he was mostly looking, looking, he's looking for runners. He's looking for people to give it to. He's looking for someone to have that same fire in the belly that he's got. And there wasn't enough out of there. You're looking for your your players, you're looking for the, the key players, you're looking for your your Marcus Rashford, your home bread player, to go and prove a point and stand up, stand up for you know for all the Mancunians in you know in, in, in the best in at the best club in Manchester and he's not there. You don't you don't see him playing with that fire in his belly. You don't see him you don't see him his heart pumping because he's annoyed because things are going wrong. He should want to be achieving more than any other player. You don't get that from him. You get it more from Bruno than you do others. And and that's and that's the problem. There's been too much soft soap in Wayne now, and not just at Manchester United, everywhere, that the moment it's not going players' way, they're willing to accept, oh, well, there's another game, because there's no drive, no purpose, no no um, no great ambition, because there's there's nothing to aim for. How do you... How do you tell a player you must go and you've got to go and win this? Bless you, Wayne. You must go. You must go and win this game. You've got to do that when there's no great incentive. Because what incentive can you can you give a player when already his, his incentive is in guaranteed over his over his contract? It's impossible in any industry. You can't do that. You've got to have something to aim for. So if you're doing well, you get rewarded for it. If you're not doing well, then you don't you don't get anything. It makes you go out there, you know. You know the non-contract footballers out there, the ones who are, or people in in life non-contract. They wake up every morning knowing, cool. I don't feel good, but if I don't go out, who's going to feed the baby? And these players don't really care. And I think that's what we see now. We're in that part of the season where they normally say, "Oh, they're out on the beach now." All these players, 
but you look at them now and they've gone beyond that now <clears throat> i mean they've gone beyond that kind of that kind of style now it's a it's a it's a big letdown to be honest we're talking about manchester united driving for a champions league spot not manchester united driving trying to drive to win a league yeah the champions league spot for years arsenal got Arsenal got slaughtered for this. Where they was having parties on the pitch for qualifying in full spot. Arsenal in the Champions League, and people were laughing at them. United have got to win. They've got to win their last four games to guarantee qualification for the title. And I think that this is a dangerous time to get into this kind of mentality slip because you look at the opponents, and yeah, all right, three games at Old Trafford, which you would expect United to sort of fairly do well in, but Fulham have been better than expected. They're having a good season. Um, but Wolves, we'll talk about in a moment, but even Chelsea come in Old Trafford and they've just won the first game under Lampard, so they'll have a little bit of confidence. And Bournemouth way have been pretty good at home. Um, in fact, they've done very well under Gary O'Neill. They've been one of the sleeper hits of the season. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult to know because, I mean, how do they shake it off? I mean, how does Tenorga, is there a way that, that Tenorga addresses it other than, you, you said it earlier, is it, is it a case of maybe taking Anthony out and putting Pelestri in or putting Gornacho straight into the team next week, putting Sabitzer in even, sort of say, you know, I'm not saying that Sabitzer was particularly brilliant when he's come on recently, but in terms of, let's say, making a statement with one of these players, just to say, look, I'm shaking it up, I'm putting this in because... If you're going to get half an hour at the end of this game, you're really going to need to pull something out of the bag. We're going to need urgency for all that time that you're on the pitch. And I just think it, you're going to need that because United in games, all every game this season, I'm talking home games as well, they've never really been truly convincing. There's been one or two games where they've won comfortably, one or two games where they've won comfortably. Think about that. Even the home record being as good as it is, I'm often... Have they been in a position where they've been three goals up and been able to rotate players? You know, it's not been very often. How often have they been in a position where they've been two goals up with 20 minutes to go and been able mm. to rotate players? It's not very often that they've been like that. And yes, you can talk about the tiredness, but it's a chicken and egg situation then because the players just, they need to get to that position to be better than what they have been. And it's a very, I mean, I don't, again, I don't want to be melodramatic, but it is, it puts the Champions League, these two defeats have put the Champions League position in real question where they're going to have to turn around. The squad have got a massive responsibility in these next four games. It looks like a fairly comfortable run on paper, but we don't expect that it will be because of the way the squad has addressed the last six weeks. It's, it's concerning. It's a big, it, what looked like a, a comfortable run of fixtures has now become really significant in... United's not just next season, but we're talking near future because they, they must qualify for the Champions League this summer. Otherwise, there's going to be huge repercussions. Yeah, I mean that's that's the problem. That's everything was set that way. Everything was in the bag, and the certain players are just taking it as granted, haven't they? As to it was just going to happen. And the one thing we do know, which is an old saying, is that football doesn't just happen. You have to you have to make things happen. You have to, and that means by working hard. And another old saying is you have to win the battle before you win the war. I mean, one of the ones that, you know, during my time, and but they're all facts. It's just a fact, and you have to give a little bit before you get anything back. No one's going to give you something. You have to go out and earn it, and then people, then, then you get the right to go out there and take it. And they're just not, they're just not doing it. Just not doing it. It's old-fashioned, but it's, the game hasn't changed that much. It's still, still 11 v 11, 
you know, it's just a diff- the most difficult thing now about it is the people who are playing it. That's the problem. They're making it complicated. They're the ones who are, you know, making it difficult for people to watch it because it's becoming that way, but virtually unwatchable at top level, the way, unwatchable, the way that things go on and the way pe- players apply themselves because all people want is honesty and hard work. And when you see someone lose the ball, you don't want to see them walking after. You think, you know, this is you're in the team game here. If you lose it, try and get it back, try, but don't just give up on it and let someone else do it. And and that's what it's become now. It isn't what it used to be. And I'm, you know, when you just mentioned there's a bit, sir, every time he plays, he plays with a little bit of a spring, a spring in his, you know, in his heels. He's, he's, try, he's, he's trying to prove a point. He's trying to prove by his comments he made about being here compared to um, Bayern Munich. That should be enough to say that, He's, he's, he's saying everything, all the right things about what the club's about. And that's what you want to hear. You want to hear someone talk highly about your football club. But he, every time he comes on, he, he wants to go beyond. He wants to get in the box. Um, you know, you, as much as he likes Casemiro and Ericsson, the, both of them have been out for a little while. Casemiro's been off and on. He can't get himself going at the moment. Someone likes a bit around him, just might, Casemiro just might, take a little bit off of him because you can see him going up and back and back and he's doing more work going up and back. He's doing a lot of it now without the football. When you wanted him to be doing it with the football, they're not, they're not controlling the ball. They're not getting on the ball. They're not dominating the ball in midfield and which they were doing before with Casemiro. And he was, that's when everyone saw the best of him Yeah, in that sense. And, and, and that's the bit now. And he's got a look at that. Ericsson maybe just needs, a game, he might just need a game to sit back and watch for a while and maybe understand that, you know, that he can't come back in and do what he was doing before straight away. There's something that needs changing. And you just mentioned Ganacho. Yeah, I would go, I would. Just to bring, just to, he, he must be hungry. He's, he's signing a new contract now to prove a point. Go out there and enjoy that moment. The, the fans would absolutely, would relish the fact of him going, him starting the game now. And it may be the lift that the players need, a little bit of lift to hear it from the terraces. It makes a big, big difference. And it's it's missing all that. kind. It seems a bit lifeless at the moment in time. I yeah. don't know sometimes. I mean, as much as, you know, when I was playing, virtually everyone knew the team that was going to play. I think something like now in a position where United are at the moment, it, needs, it does need freshening up. Continuity is great, but continuity is only good if the results are going that way. After yeah. our people getting bored, people are getting stale. They you know, after what's happened, they don't want to see some of those players anymore at this moment in time. They'll, they'll just take anything, somebody who's going to run around and make a difference. And that's what not, they haven't seen that. Brighton, good game. It was a wonderful game to watch. If, it, if, it, if there was a neutral support out there, they would have loved that. But then you think, okay, didn't get, didn't get. A, a, you know, a poor decision by a player cost them at least a point now. So you go to Upton, you go to Upton Park, you go to London Stadium and you expect to go there and perform again, get hold of the ball and move the ball around. Didn't do it against the side, which I've watched, I watch a hell of a lot. I have to put up with it at home. I have to put up with screaming in my ear hole. And um, who, who can't pass the ball? Who don't yeah. pass the ball in midfield? West Ham mostly have had their... It'd be interesting what their percentage was in, in, in possession yesterday. It'd be one of their best ones in months. Yeah. No team has ever no team has ever allowed them to pass the ball. Sochek mostly had his best game in months. And I mean months. 
Every West Ham fan wants David Moyes to leave him out. I don't want to have a go at him. They want him because he has struggled because he's not a good athlete. And yesterday, you know, blimmin' hell, he was he was looking like he, one minute he looked like an endurance run. He could have been Brendan Foster. And the other one, he looked he looked like a sprinter the way he was running around going past people. United made him look a better player. That that yeah. was the problem. West Ham's defence has been awful. Kara has been awful. Carey looked like, you know, he looked like what he what he is. He's, he, you know, f- you know, a fullback for Germany. Where before he's been absolutely awful. They made poor players. Um, I look at um Creswell can't run, no pace, no pace at all. Anthony never stretched him out, never ran past him. Everyone's been running past him. He's been left. He's, it was terrible what I saw. And in certain ways, I'm I'm glad that I wasn't doing that game. I had the hump that I wasn't doing it, and I let him know it. But I'm so glad I wasn't there to see that because I wouldn't know I wouldn't know how to how how to talk about it really to be perfectly honest because I know what my pre-match would have been about West Ham and talking about Manchester United and then it would have been egg on my face in the end. Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, we rewind all the way back to the start of the season when we lost to Brentford and Tenag obviously put the players out for this run had this massive mentality shift that lasted months months with the with the team and um he could be credited for that because i mean at one point we were saying it was transformational for the club in, in the impact it seemed to have and, and you know in many ways it was but I, I look at what he's got to do now the responsibility of him and the squad and it's funny because we're talking in a week after um the jimmy murphy statue was unveiled last week and just before just after it was unveiled um there was a poem by Tony Walsh, the man, Cunian poet, um, really fantastic poem about, um, you know, the, the blood, thunder and spirit of um, Jimmy Murphy. And now it was so inspiring and everyone was saying afterwards, oh, that'd be great to have it on the pitch before the next game, Old Trafford or at a game, Old Trafford or um, have him do it as a team talk or something like that. And maybe not that, but I think the picture, Paul, of the last two games, the celebrations, the Brighton, the Brighton um, dressing room celebrations, beating Manchester United and the West Ham celebrations of beating Manchester United and maybe showing the, the squad that this this is who you're representing and look what it means to these players. It seems to me more to them for them to beat you. If it means that much for them to beat you, don't give them that satisfaction because the next four games... If Wolves win Old Trafford, it's going to make their season. If Chelsea win at Old Trafford, it's going to make their season. If Bournemouth get a win over Manchester United, it's going to be the highlight of their season. You know, Fulham is the same. And then Man City would absolutely love it if they, like, knock a few past us. So for all these teams that we're about to face, getting a win over United is going to be the highlight of their season. Did his squad want to be the kind of, generous centre team that we've seen in the past where they're giving you know like team oh this team hasn't won at Old Trafford since X X year X year you know what I mean this team's done a double against United for the first time since uh, 1921 or something like that. It, we need to sort of I don't know how Tenog does it but maybe that's the way of just showing him the pictures of these teams celebrating playing against us and saying this is what it means for these teams to beat you. Can't it mean enough for you is that too simple? Am I, am I looking too simple? No, simplistic? no, no. What well, you're saying, I mean, I've had that when I joined, you know, I told, I've told the story so many times about when I was at QPR and we beat United. I think we beat them 3-2, um, Andy Gray. Yeah. 
scored two goals, one of them from a free kick. And we won 3-2 and Trevor Francis has brought champagne into the dressing room. It was a midweek game it was. And he brought champagne in the dressing room and I'm sitting there with, you know, Kenny Sanson, Peter Reid, Nigel Spatman, Ray Wilkins. Um, who else with them? Um, yeah, there was obviously big Alan McDonald and he's come down half a dozen bottles and we've kind of looked at each other and kind of gone, you know, I've just kind of looked at myself, that ain't right. You know, what, why are we doing this for? We've got a game on Saturday, another game Saturday. You can imagine the likes of Peter Reid, Ray Wilkins and the Kenny Sansons who'd been and done a bit, more than what I'd ever done at that given time. And, and we just kind of looked at each other. I mean, the ironic thing about it, on a Saturday, we had Coventry City at home. The crowd dropped off, slightly dropped down. The atmosphere was never the same when we got beat. You know, and, and, that's, and that's what... <laughs> but I don't get it. I mean, I'm, I saw that Brighton bit and... I love watching Brighton. I must say, I really enjoy it. More so now, and his new manager, fantastic. But I saw that, and that kind of put me off. I think it's Newcastle started this rubbish, these silly pitches after wins. And I always think, Egan, it's another game. Do that at the end of the season. If you've achieved something, you surpass something, you know. I understand yeah. West Ham in a way, because that three points guarantees them. The, the manager, they've been under a lot of stress to the players, and even being around here, everything's so negative. So I get that in a certain way. The Brighton one, you're chasing, you know, I, I don't really get that. But I've seen that so many times. I mean, you go and play, we lost to, um, I think it was Crystal Palace or someone at Sellers Park at that given time. And they were singing, they were shouting. It was absolutely incredible. And we'd want, you know, that's the, one of our, you know, we won the league that year, that season as well. So it's, so I've never seen that before. And it made me understand the club that I come and joined, how much people get out of it. People don't really do that when, when they beat Liverpool. It's a different thing. Liverpool have got what they've got. Manchester United is something completely different, completely different in the way people take beating Manchester United to beating Liverpool, which people's doesn't matter what state that Manchester United are in, people enjoy it because five, ten yards down the line, whatever, in black and white, there it says so and so, whatever, you know, beat Manchester United. People don't know the reasons behind it. They they're not looking at any issues going on at Manchester United. It's just that win, because people will not want to know the story around it. They just see that result, and that's it. Exactly. I mean, and and the yeah, the grey area yesterday. You say, oh well, we have a run. And Martinez, yeah, the people aren't going to be looking at that. They're not looking at it this morning. They're not giving Tenag the excuse to say Champions League qualifications on the line and you really need to turn this around, mate. Um, and to be fair, I think that's where we both are as well. Because, I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't credit Lindelof and Shaw with massive improvement and then not expect them to get a result against West Ham or, or criticise them for the underperformance because I mean yesterday was so disappointing um, and you could see it coming a mile off, uh, not necessarily Brighton because Brighton like you said it was a great game to watch and it looked like you know like against Arsenal when we lost late on at least United without Casemiro they'd given it a really good go and they, they put, played a good part in the game whereas in some of these games as yesterday you just sense that United weren't at it from the off. And, and when you sense that with this United team, you generally got a good nose for what they're going to do. And that's, that's um, 
fairly concerning at the moment. Um, ben says, I hope we never get those changing room cameras at United. The, the good thing is, that I guess United are, like I said, they hold themselves to a different kind of standard, so they don't sort of let, generally, they don't like the Amazon thing, the, these Amazon documentaries, everyone wants to see it. Um, oh, everyone who's not a United fan wants to see it. I guess there's some people in the sport base that do want to see it, but I wouldn't, even in a good season, I wouldn't want to see it because I just think United are supposed to hold themselves to a different kind of standard. And um, yeah, anyway, that's by the by with that. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very tough couple of weeks. And I think I'm looking at it from two different angles. The first is needing to change that mentality around quick. Generally, the responses have been pretty good. Obviously, it wasn't from Brighton to West Ham. But with a week behind us for a home game, hopefully Tenal can get the message into this team. The, the problem that we have got is that the message, the responses have been weaker and weaker. They were Immediately, they were pretty good. And now it seems to be to get the... And, enough in the results to get over the line, but they don't really show much in terms of performance. Like the, I think it was at Villa after uh, Sevilla, you know, we did enough to get the win, but it wasn't really enough to say, well, we've turned the corner. And you, you think United need something a little bit more convincing if supporters are going to be going down to Wembley expecting anything other than a bit of a chasing against Man City. Um, that's the danger, really, isn't it, Paul, at this moment in time? And again, I don't want to end the podcast on a melodramatic note, but the big challenge is Ten Hag has done so well by mid-April. You were saying there's a really strong first season for it, and now it, it looks, you know, if the, the train goes off the track a little bit, it looks like it's a little bit derailed and you're feeling like it's ended in a negative squib. It's a bit of a dangerous sort of run of form for him. It is. I mean, the thing about it, though, if it, if it was to derail, a League Cup's not enough. Yeah. You just you look at it, you go, was the League Cup all right? You think to yourself, well, no, not really. Not when you, you know, when you dip dipped your both feet into the Champions League position, and should they should have been, and but while those feet, both those feet were dipped in, they should have been cemented. But it's been, it's blowing up. It's got, it's gone to, it's gone to pot at this moment in time. And if they do get over the line, there's a. If they do get over the line, there's you know there's a big big argument. It's got to go on between himself and owners or whoever is the owner is that he has to. It needs a massive clear out, and you're gonna the club are gonna have to eat a lot of humble pie on wages. They've got to, they've just got to give people. They've got to virtually you know. They've just got to, get to turn around and just put their hands up and say they made massive mistakes on his wages, what they've given some of these players. And because you're not going to get many players out on loan because of what they're earning. I mean, I saw someone the other day showing what Sancho's earning and it's incredible. I just look at it and I think, what are you getting in return? And you're getting nothing back for what he's earning and what you've paid for him. And you think, how? <clears throat> where's his motivation for such a young person? There's a lot of Martial, you look at them all, it's a, it's a big, big problem with these players with their wages to get them out on loan. Because clubs are going to be looking, knowing that you're desperate to get players in. And they're not going to make it easier for by just taking your players and saying, oh, we'll cover that. And they go, well, you know, the virtue is going, well, we know that you need you need something out of this to use to that. So they'll just go, well, you give us more, you, you cover more of his wages and then we give you that. So at the end of it, they get something back and they've got that little bit behind them saying, well, we took that from Manchester United. 
that's the way it works if you're one of the big boys. You're not going to make it. They're not going to make life easy. So United have made them made massive errors over the years with some of these contracts are handed out. You should be earning the right. You should want to play and earn the right to go and get more. But it seems like, oh, just in case someone else gets you, we'll give you tons more than what anyone else might give you. And they've put themselves in an unbelievable position to, to get rid of these players because they will not leave. They won't walk away from it for what they've got because people are worried about being laughed at because now yeah. everyone knows what people earn. That's what, you know, as it, it wasn't like that before. They're not going to do it. They're going to, you know, they're going to go, oh, no, I'm not, I'd rather sit here and not play regularly at all, but get my money. Waste, waste of a career. It's good if you, it's good if you can finish football at 70, but no, but they're quite content to sit around and just pick their money up. So as much as everyone knows what they need in United, then everyone knows, you don't have to be a United fan. The biggest problem for the manager is to convince some of those players to leave. They know that they, they're not wanted, but they know that they're sitting on the back of a, a very, very fruitful fruitful um, contract. It's there for Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a difficult moment in time. And I, I, the other thing I was going to say as well, um, by the way, I get it wrong with the Villa Sevilla thing. Villa was after the Spurs setback. If, if nothing else, I mean, take the sort of the external motivation out of it. Um, you could even look at the last few away games and say, all right, we played Spurs on a Thursday night, Brighton on a Thursday night, West Ham on a Sunday night, very unfamiliar kickoff times, horrible kickoff times um, for the team and for the support. If you don't look at it from the support perspective and say, well, does anyone want to be going, you know, trying to scrabble to find a team back from London or the South Coast at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night? Well, 11 o'clock on a Thursday night. Yeah, or, or 11 o'clock on a Sunday night from London. Do you know, do it for yourself. Do you want to be travelling back home at that time on a Sunday night? No, you don't want to be doing that if you're a footballer. You want to be, you know, feet up watching the rest of the game, having played on a Saturday afternoon at either 3 o'clock or 12.30, you know, and, and then playing your games on a Wednesday night. Much better preparation and much better spotlight for it. And I don't know. Any variety of this um, um, combination of these methods for Tenago probably something much smarter than what I've suggested because he's a much smarter man in in the position that he's in. Um, so he'll come up with something. And next time Paul and I are on here, we're talking about the the positive reaction to that um, as opposed to the damp squib as what it feels like at the moment. Um, just want to close off by saying thanks again to everyone for watching and listening. Um, and uh, yeah, a little reminder just that we're paying our condolences to the family of Tom Clare, the legendary United supporter who passed away this weekend. Um, thoughts are with him and his uh, family, and you know, obviously, I will be thinking of him this week. And um, yeah, if you haven't already educated yourself about Tom, if you if his passing is one of the first things that you've heard about him. There's plenty to read online about um, how important he was as a supporter. Um, and if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, um, or if you're watching replay actually now, uh, feel free to comment. We do reply to the comments. Uh, if you're listening back on the audio podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a, plat- a review on the platform you're listening on. We will be back soon to talk about United's reaction to 
this latest setback. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and have a great week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.